I'm surrounded by idiots. I'm gonna die surrounded by the biggest idiots in the galaxy. You're a slacker. You stupid idiot! Yeah, well, you know, that's just like, uh, your opinion, man. Ugh! Idiot! Game over, man! Hey, hey, careful Whoa. with that, Ronnie Millsap. We're downrange. What's the matter with you? Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, friends and fiends, and welcome to yet another episode of Free Range Idiocy, the podcast about everything, but mostly just the stuff we like. This is episode 10, and we're taking a break from our deep geek dive into Battlestar Galactica to talk about the NFL with all the best and worst contained therein. My name is Todd, and with me, as always, from across the plains of Middle America, our man in Chi-Town, live via a wish, a prayer, and an old AOL disc he found in the basement, uh-huh. the Bubba Ray to my Devon. Oh, my brother, testify. He always works in 3D. I give you the man they called him. <laughs> hello, hello, and hello again. I thought you might. My gosh, that was, that was excellent, my friend. We, I was waiting for, uh, for when the Dudleys were going to get brought out here, and that, that, that was fantastic. I, I like to keep you guessing, and I, I figure I'm, I, I, I've gone obscure. I've kind of gone mainstream. I figured I'd Michael a little EC dub on you. There we go. There we go. But yeah, you, whenever you hear Devon, you got to bring out the "Oh, my brother, testify." Bubba, oh, no, it was it was Devon? Get the tables, right? Get the t- Devon. Get the tables. That's right. What a <laughs> what a great gimmick. What a oh those guys those guys are fantastic. Oh man, you got Bubba Ray from Brooklyn. You got Devon, <laughs> and and they just you know just beat the tar out of people. It was fantastic. And in ECW, they had like there was a whole bunch of them, wasn't there? There was like Sign Guy Dudley. There was oh there was yeah the the, the Dudley family was was uh, was prevalent in in, in ECW. Um, they they were innovators of the tag team scene. You know they had the uh, flaming tables match, they had the barbed wire tables <laughs> match. They, I mean, they were just and and you know to be honest, they're um, for that time period for, for the mid '90s, their finisher was pretty pretty brutal. I mean, you know, considering the time period it was you know done in, and you know probably now folks looking at like ah eh, whatever, but but yeah the the, the 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 3D Dudley Death Drop, which is basically uh, Devon backdropping the guy and then Bubba Ray catching him into a, like a diamond cutter sort of maneuver was just. That was fantastic. I, I always love watching those guys fight. They, they were really good. Now, who had who had the more brutal-looking finisher, Dudley's or Demolition? Oh, that's a good question. Ah, uh, gosh. And you know that that would be a great like dream tag match. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, because because they both no science I mean, I, I, wrestling scientific wrestling involved whatsoever. No, no none whatsoever. But um, not going to sleep a hold in this match, folks. <laughs> No rest locks. It's all going to be punching, kicking, and you know it's a whole lot of throwing elbows. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough one because both teams. I mean, you know, the Dudleys weren't as big, I think, as Demolition, and, and Demolition wasn't big in the muscle sense, but I think yeah. in the middle-aged dad sense. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. 
but but they but but they had the weight and um, that they did yes and and so I, I I think it would be a pretty even pretty even match between the two because they, they, they were both about you know j- just the physicality and, and the brutality and uh, you know I, I don't see one of them having an edge over the other because yeah they, they both both finishers were just just brutal yeah I would actually go for the Dudleys because I always felt and it might have been just the the elevation of uh, TV production throughout the years. But looking back at some of the, the old videos of Demolition from uh, a few episodes ago when we referenced them, I felt that even though it, I remember it looking devastating, it looked a little less impressive, you know, in retrospect. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I always felt the Dudleys yeah. looked a little bit better on TV. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, let's not forget the Dudleys were, were one-third of, you know, two other or th- so three total teams, but but one third of two other teams that put together the the TLC table ladders and chairs yes. matches at, at at several WrestleManias that ended up being like these classics that were just you know with them edging Christian and the Hardys. How are all of them still walking? Is what I want to know. Well, you know, Edge Edge retired. I think twenty eleven. He had a he had to retire early. Yeah, he he had to cut his career short, and I think a lot of it was due to to, to some of that. And you know, Christian's out of it. Um, I mean, the Dudleys were wrestling up until I mean, gosh, they were back in WWE a couple of years ago. Are you serious? Um, they came, but well, but but their coming back was was done sensibly. They, they were clearly there to put over some of the younger teams. Like they they went in there and. They were brought in with a lot of fanfare. I mean, when they came in, the place just went nuts. Well, yeah. I mean, I, it, it was so cool to see. And there's, it's such a great gimmick. Like, they were just so, like, the personality involved was great. Yeah, and, and they had a great back and forth um, with the New Day, which is this, you know, the, this three-man team I was telling you about that brought brought back the whole Freebird rule thing with the tag belts, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. But it, but for me, as, as someone who's watched wrestling over the years and has seen how – you know, older talent seems to try to hold on to the glory years uh-huh. and isn't able to let go. Well, let me tell you something, brother. It was it was really cool to see that clearly in this case, these guys worked uh, a whole program with the New Day with the intent of, of really making them look really, and, and not because the New Day couldn't, but it was one of those things that when, when you face an older, more established talent. Well, let me tell you something, brother. And you, you or the team ends up going over on them. It makes you look like, you know, a, a really put together act. And it was very clear the Dudleys were, were trying to do that for those guys. So it was neat to see that part of it. Number one, thou shall not steal. Nice. Good, good reference, my friend. It's been a while. Number two, thou shall not kill. You know what? I, I do what I can. I do what I can. <laughs> And the most important commandment of them all. Oh, thou shall not mess with the Dudleys. All right. So uh, before we dive too deeply into things, uh, you just mentioned. Uh, so this is a bit of a milestone for us. This is 10 episodes. Uh, and, and, you know, 10 episodes of this crazy journey, my friend. And, and who's and you know what? Our fourth grade teachers always said we'd amount to nothing. Look at this. We are like Internet celebrities. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Not really, but we're we're <laughs> we're we're on the internet, okay? I was trying to think back to who my fourth grade teacher was. <laughs> but anyway, so we are at ten episodes now, and and you would mm-hmm. you had actually checked in on our uh, on our Podbean page, and how many downloads are we at right now? We are at two eighty. That's about two, which is thirty more than two fifty. That I yes, it is. And who says that we can't <laughs> math? That's right. I got to admit, though, like 280, that's about 
250 more than I thought we were going to get. Oh, my <laughs> brother! Oh, testify! Yeah, so I, I, I think a big thank you uh, needs to be... Uh, well, I, I think we're pretty appreciative. Yeah. But a big thank you to those who have stuck with us. Exactly. And, and, and the funny part is I thought it would be all like friends and family who would be listening, and none of them are listening to us. <laughs> Hey, my, my, my sister-in-law has been an avid listener, she, she, although she's been very honest and transparent about um, the, the Battlestar episodes. Uh, you know, she, she avoids those like the plague, which I don't blame her. Um, which is funny because I've got a friend who, who's listening in and he's like, I couldn't do the Battlestar Galactica. Ones. I'm like, oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, I do have to tell you this story. So, I understand. So she did tell me. She, she, she does listen to, uh, to these with, with, her, with her three-year-old. Uh, and, and, you know, just sometimes, oh, that kid's going to be so screwed up. Well, no, listen to this. So, so she, uh, she asked him, you know, do do you want to watch, do you want to listen, um, to your uncle, you know, talk about Battlestar Galactica? And he goes, that doesn't sound fun. (laughs) You know what? The kid's got a future. Oh my gosh. He is great discernment for age three. Let me tell you. I could not stop laughing when she told me that. I'm like, that. that is, yes. <laughs> that just sums it up right there. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, hey. Oh, my gosh. We'll, take well a- hey, the tagline is we talk about everything, but mostly this stuff we're interested in. So uh, there you have and it. And apparently we, we have an extraordinary fetish for <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> Can drag it into any conversation. Just wrench it right in there. Like, give me, give me a shoehorn. There it is. Yep, there it is. Oh, there it is. We'll, we'll find probably in this one. We'll find a way to work guys Baltar into this at some at some point. Well, you just did. So there we go. We're done. Hashtag Baltar twenty twenty. No more Mister Nice Guys. No more Fat Apollo though. So we gotta. No, next time we're gonna talk about Drunk Apollo. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> Where's my ring? <laughs> my gosh. One ring to, I don't know, whatever. Um, anyways, so we're, we're prefacing. So a little background. The reason why we're actually talking about the NFL is because I couldn't get my homework done to talk about Battlestar Galactica Season 3.5. So we are, we are punting, and it... Oh, like what you did there. And, you know, it kind of works out that we're going to talk about football because that's a thing in football so if you're not familiar with the sports ball then now you you have some stuff to go and drop on your friends ah which leads us into our next question it works every time couldn't even wait good lord sir. <laughs> i thought you were jumping right into the content I, i'm like wait a minute we, we have one more little uh, tidbit to go here my friend wow i'm i've i've it's happened i've driven tim to drink officially oh my goodness <laughs> beer Ah, and I thank you. So, sir, uh, the question that I have for you right now, though, is, uh, uh, what are you drinking? To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Uh, We're going to go again, uh, similar to what I did last episode. It's a twofer. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, We're going to do a a can of Sleepy Dog Tail Chaser IPA, and uh, Tim's still working on the MLM. Oh, my God. So... (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, I'm at a point of thinking my refrigerator is just producing these goose islands now because I don't know where they're coming they're from. They're breeding like rabbits, I tell you. <laughs> I reach in, there's another one. I le- it just won't stop. <laughs> I left two cans in there and all of a sudden now I've got 12. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh my! Goodness. You know what I would love? I would love it if your wife is buying them on the sly just to mess with you. <laughs> That's what I would love. Oh my gosh! Oh, she's just trying to drive you crazy. It's it's. Yeah. She's like, well, between the podcast and this, I figure I'll drive him right over the edge, and we can get some insurance money. 
Oh, no, no. But uh, yes, yeah, so that, that is what I am doing. And, and what are you uh, partaking in, my friend? Well, I've got a twofer, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing a two of the same. So uh, I've moved, I, I, I am not having a Glutenberg stout. I'm actually having a uh, Glutenberg, Glutenberg blonde ale. So it's a gluten-free blonde ale. It is quite lovely, crisp, and refreshing. It works every time. Uh, not very fall, though, I've, I've got to say that. So today we are going to, uh, well, actually, first, let me just say this. Uh, thank you once again to everyone who's listening. And uh, you can follow us on social medias. Uh, we're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. All of those are at Free Range Idiocy. Uh, and you can find our podcast at freerangeidiocy.com. Also on Podbean and iTunes. Once again, Spotify, zero progress. So, you know, if you're a Spotify kind of person, you're probably not listening to this anyways. So <laughs> um, now now they have the uh, an excuse now that their team isn't playing in the World Series. Oh, wow. you're hanging on to that, aren't you? Oh, uh, I mean, is there it's a vendetta, my friend? It's a vendetta. Is there any reason? I mean, is, is Spotify legitimately like a New York thing or are you just like totally no, making I'm this just, up? I'm totally making this up. OK, well, this, you know what? This is purely for entertainment value. OK, carry on. I just I was curious. OK. OK. No. no. So uh, we're going to dig a dig this gimmick out of the dustbin. So it's a little bit like bringing back the Dudleys. Uh, we're we're going to do a, <laughs> a best and worst of the NFL. Oh, testify! Because. There's a there's some good things about the NFL and there's also some bad things about the NFL. We're gonna kind of go over both and basically just try and figure out. Well, not we're not gonna figure out anything. Let's just face it. You've if you've listened to any episode so far, you know that nothing is resolved in these. So we'll just uh, we'll leave it at that, shall we? Uh huh. So uh, let's start off with. Oh heck, let's start off with the best. We might as well start off on a high note and then just really just drive this sucker right into the ground. That's right. It's worked so far in my life. Uh, why not keep going? So, here we go with the be- the NFL is the best because it's the best. Love it. First uh, reason that we have for the NFL being the best is with only 16 games per season, every game is meaningful throughout the regular season, and the winner go home playoffs can also be very dramatic. Now, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I. You know, when when I when we were talking about it and kind of going through the the, the different points, I, I I like this one because I, I think this is kind of a defining characteristic for football, yeah. um, professional football at least, is the fact that there is a a a very um, you know survive or die sort of aspect you know to each game that um, you know maybe not in the beginning of the season is there as much of uh, you know are, are the stakes as high, but certainly as as the season progresses, you know, a win versus a loss becomes very, very important. You know, yeah. the, the, with 16 games, you don't have, you know, the, the long season and the ability to hide, um, you know, a, a losing streak behind a much longer winning streak because you have a very limited, you know, number of games. And so it really kind of, uh, you, you know, it really kind of defines for, for a team, um, you know, especially around the midseason where, where we are right now, defines for a team where you know where it's really going to land and you know we were talking before the show started you know especially this NFL season with the injuries how it's really kind of knocked a lot of teams that were expected to do very well out of the running mm-hmm. um, because they've they've lost some key you know some key personnel that they were going to rely on to to make a, a solid run so yeah so there, there's very much a, a a high stakes aspect to to the games um, you know one, one thing that I that I like um, and, and, you know, it happened in 08 with the Patriots was, 
you know, teams that, that make, uh, you know, runs at, at the undefeated, you know, record. You know, the, the Falcons uh, came close, I think, a couple of years ago. The Patriots, you know, went and actually achieved 16-0, and but then didn't, you know, close it out in the Super Bowl. Yeah, let's but, just not talk about that, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I could say that and not, like, you know, start convulsing or something. Well, I mean, um, six Super Bowls, eh, stings a little less. Yeah, I think I, I I think we're well compensated given the, <laughs> the, the 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 other championship games we've experienced. An embarrassment of riches, I believe, would be the way to put it. I would agree with that phrasing. Yes, you know, overall, um, I just think that you know where where there's less room for error, it just it it heightens the drama of the games. Yeah, and and it really, as a fan, makes you you know, I think really kind of sit on the edge of your seat a bit more for, for these games than you would for baseball or basketball, you know, and, and in, in those two sports and hockey as well, I mean, you never hear them talk about the an, an undefeated streak because it is so far outside the realm of possibility. You know, you're, it's going to be a one in a billion, trillion, zillion shot for a baseball team to go 162-0. and 0. Yeah. You know, it's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, you look at, uh, so I was just watching, uh, rewatching Moneyball, which have you, have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that movie. A pretty good flick. But so what was it? 20 games was the streak that they that they achieved. Yes. I mean, and that's a that is 20 of anything in a row is pretty impressive. But 20 games in a row in a baseball season is an eighth of the season. Yes. You're still nowhere close. And I, I like what you said about high stakes. I think it's it really the NFL season is sort of like uh, back in the day. I don't even know. I've I, it's been so long since I've I've only been to a casino like twice in my life anyway. So, but I remember when I went back in like the nineties. You there was actually there was still five dollar blackjack tables. Oh yeah. You know, so you could go and you could play five dollars a hand. Whereas that's sort of like baseball. Like every game, yeah, the games are important and they add up. But you can still have wild swings throughout the right, season right. of losing and winning streaks and, 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 and managing to ramp up at the right time. And depending on how things go in your division, you know, you can take advantage of that, yada, yada, yada. The NFL is like, as instead of playing for $5 a hand, now you've stepped up to the $100 a hand table. Yeah. And now things are worth a little bit more. You know, it's, it's, it really is a huge difference because you can't. You really can't afford to have any losing streak over a couple of games. No, no, and and to go on a losing streak, you know, depending on how you know if it's for two or three games, it could be a matter of whether you are in playoff contention or whether you're out. Yeah, I mean, and and there are there's always exceptions. Now there's there, there's a, like the Chargers for years now seem like they always seem to have like the real slow start and then they ramp it up at the end and and all those things and and, and some teams will you know, start really hot, and then they just fall completely apart. And those are the extremes. But for the most part, you can't go on a three- or four-game losing streak and still expect to be at the same level as other teams who are trying to get into the playoffs. Something is it, – it, it reveals a fundamental flaw in the team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I think that's one of the things that's really good about the NFL, that and the fact that when you said professional football – of course, we're talking, you know, when you go to college now, they arrange a lot of their schedules themselves. So they can they can book a couple patsies early in the season to beat up on. Whereas a couple job is. Yeah, they bring in, you know, they bring in the Brooklyn Brawler and, you know, uh, you know, uh, Mike Sharp, Iron Mike Sharp. 
Oh my gosh! <laughs> and, and they, and they, you are you are just timely with the references tonight, my friend. That's fantastic. And they just flog on them for a couple games until they warm up, and then they get into the real part of the season. Well, the NFL, right. you don't have that option. You know, there's there's teams that you're going to play every year, and you got to play them twice a year, so you got all your divisional opponents, and then you have you don't get a chance to choose the schedule. It gets chosen for you, unless you really want to go deep into a conspiracy theory and say it's all made up, anyways. But I just don't need to go down that rabbit hole right now. So let's just say that it is what it is. Um, I just I love that fact that it, it, it really the games actually count. Whereas and I get it. Baseball is, you know, it's supposed to be more idyllic and kind of uh, I forget how George Carlin put it, like, uh, you know, pastoral. Like it's it's you ought to get the ball around the infield. You lollygag your way down to first. You lollygag in and out of the dugout. It's supposed to be a long season. It's supposed to be relaxing or, or kind of this... You know what that makes you, Larry? Lollygaggers. Lollygaggers. This walk-in-the-park summer sort of thing, whereas football really is. It's, it's a winter-fall sport, Yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's brutal. So I, 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 I actually I think that's one of the things about the game that is, is really good. Well, and, and then to go from the season to the playoffs, um, I, you know, would, would I want to see a baseball playoff that's that's only you know one game i know there's like the play-in games they do um to determine you know kind of the last you know seed so to speak um into the playoffs but i don't know how i feel about going from a series to, to one game for baseball or even for basketball or, or even or you know hockey as well but it makes sense for football you know what i mean and it definitely you know i i, I feel you know especially when tracking the patriots to the playoffs i i just feel as a as a huge fan of that team that um, the intensity and the, uh, I mean, you know, I said high stakes earlier, but, but just that, that sense of the importance of the game is just so palatable. Oh, you yeah. Know? And, and, and it's not a, you know, it's, it, it's not like in, these ser- in playoff series where if your team has a bad night, you have another game to look at and to lean on and to say, okay, you know, they'll, you know, we, we have this starting pitcher coming up, so this will you know this will be the game where we come back or something. Yeah, like that. there just isn't that ability in football, and I and I think because of that, I think it just makes the games that much more exciting. Yeah, every game is a game seven. Yeah, yeah. I mean every single game, and I think uh, this actually leads kind of into the second part of it. it, it you can't do a you can't do a, a series in football because of the the nature of the sport and the physical nature of the sport which is the second thing that we had on our list uh, of why the NFL is the best, is the physicality of the game itself makes it this, this weird you know, combination of a, a test of strength, strategy, and intelligence. It's like the full mm-hmm. gamut of all sport on a level yep. that, that you really don't see, except maybe in, in hockey. Except with hockey, it's, it's a different type of strategy, whereas, you know... Football is a kind of almost like the old school, like pitched battles on a field, and the generals are over on the on the hill looking down. You know, <laughs> they've got their glass of port, and they're just like, "Oh yes, that, move those." That's people a great over there. That's a great illustration. That is a great illustration. Yeah, I mean, but well, you you literally have the the guys in the box and all this. I, but I think that that's also makes it cool. Is it's just it it is so far testing the limits of human physicality. Yes. And, oh, yeah. And let's also just put an asterisk next to this because this might not also be a good thing. <laughs> because oh, right, right. It, it's 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 pushing it to a point of possibly having some really bad. Not possible. Well, actually, possibly because some people actually manage to get out somewhat okay, but there's a lot of guys who are not getting out okay. 
yeah. because of how how much it pushes people physically. Yeah, and and it depends on the position. You know, I mean, cer- certain guys will go their career and come out of it and certainly have some. Uh, I don't want to say battle scars, but, you know, certainly banged up, but, but they, they can lead a normal life. You have other guys, um, you know, as we've seen with, with some of the concussion stuff that's, that's come out over the last few years who were a mess, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, the, the offensive linemen for the, the Steelers in the seventies. I mean, most of those guys I, I thought I read were in rough shape, you know? Oh yeah. Well, the offensive, offensive and defensive linemen do not tend to live very long. They don't live yeah. much past their 60th birthday. Right, which right. is it, it's tough to actually even talk about that in a way that you're actually still talking right. about a game. You know what I right. mean? Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a there is a definitely even though we look at this as a good one, there is definitely there's definitely a bad side to this that we we can't even wait to the other part of this to mention because it would right. it would be I think it would be irresponsible of us honestly. And, yeah, yeah, and and, and I and mean we we're pretty irresponsible it. as it is, so we really don't well, have much margin. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, I'm drinking a drink called Sleepy Dog, so how responsible can I be? Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. Compared to me, you're still pretty responsible. Well, thank you. You know, um, granted, that's a low bar, so aim aim a little high. But but given that we're going to talk about that in on the flip, you know, the the, the flip side of all this. Mm. I agree with you about the strategy and the intelligence part. Um, you know, I, I, I remember having um, uh, a colleague at work about that was about ten years ago. Um, he was he was uh, helping coach his son's high school team, and it was really neat to see you know having conversations with them about you know the the mentality behind the plays and what you know the, the different plays they were running and why you would do certain things with position players and and all that. And it just gave me a greater appreciation for. Um, you know, just how complex the game can also be, yeah. you know, in terms of um, the plays that they run and, um, and and just the different ways that they try to outmaneuver their opponents. You know, for for you and I, I think, you know, that, that holds a special place for us given the, the sort of chicanery that we see <laughs> Belichick pull um, yep. on the field, you know, over the course of his run with the Patriots. And, and you know, and I have to tip my hat to the Eagles, you know, a couple of years ago when they played him in the Super Bowl. They... When when you come across coaches who are willing to go unconventional, yes, and and but unconventional in a very strategic and, and smart way, where where they're playing the risk reward ratio game, mm-hmm. um, where the reward is you know the percentage of being rewarded is much, is higher than the risk, then you know the, these plays they pull off are just incredible. But I mean you know for us seeing Mike Vrabel line up in in offense and being like, what the heck are they doing? And then the guy scores like four or five times. I mean, it was just incredible to watch, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, there, I mean, there's, there's been a history of that. I mean, you have the tackle eligible. You have, a, who was it, Anthony Munoz back in yep. the day. Yep. He had he had like two or three touchdowns as a tackle. Um, yep. You know, so it's, but I think it's that, it's that sense of history. And that's what I think Belichick brings because he is nothing if not a student of football history. So a lot of right. that strategy comes out of, Hey, you know, uh, I remember this guy. Guy did this thing, and this you know thing back in the 1950s, and then the 1960s. This person <laughs> did it, and then you know. So, uh, Tom, why don't we try doing that thing, and you kind of go over here, and I'll, I'll go talk to Josh about. It. Okay, all right. That was my Bill Belichick. Thank you. That thank was you. a really good impression, thank you, man. ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. <laughs> Just remember, folks, the two o'clock show is completely different from the four o'clock show. I'll be playing the Oxford Casino and Ballroom uh, later on this month. And catch me at the $5 blackjack table. Yeah. 
I also like to live dangerously. I was never good at blackjack. I mean, it's such a simple game, but I just, I was like, eh. As you wish, sir. But yeah, I think that that strategy aspect, and I think it's the, the number of factors involved. So if you think of each player on the, on the playing surface as a factor, mm. football has the most of them in motion at one possible moment. You yeah. know, you've got you've got five on five in, in in basketball. You've got five on five, you know, plus goalies. So you've got a total of six on six, really, in 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 hockey, baseball. You've got your your nine fielders, but then you you know nine guys on you know your team, and then the batter. But not everyone is always in motion. And in football, once the ball is snapped, you have twenty two people out there all doing specific things. Like that's a lot of factors that you can have, and the fact that the, that it is a stop and start allows you to really get specific with placement and and to play with how you arrange your chess pieces on the field, you know, as yeah. opposed to like, uh, you know, I mean, and I know I I know there's people who are who are hockey fans or basketball fans like, oh, this plays in strategy. I get it, I get it, I get it, I get it. But the nature of being able to stop and start kind yeah. of yeah. allows you to take that to an extreme whereas it's all in the flow when you're when you're moving in terms of basketball and hockey like yeah there's certain points when everyone kind of stops and you can kind of set things up but that's not every like every play that's right, that's right. occasionally you can kind of get that going there's a lot of times when it's just like fast break or you're getting down the ice and it doesn't always go exactly the you know where you want which is exciting in and of itself yeah, but the yeah. idea that you can have twenty-two people set up in a very specific way, snap the ball, and then it's complete freaking mayhem. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and it can be either well organized or or you have broken plays and all that. Like it's just that is a fascinating thing for me. Oh, absolutely, and and it results in some amazing plays, like you were saying when 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 things don't quite go go according to plan, but the team on offense still pulls off something incredible. It's it's just an amazing play. I mean. The best plays are, are either the ones that are perfectly executed mm-hmm. um, to, to within a fraction of, of some error happening, or they're uh, or or it's basically some some actions that played out that were compensating for the plan not working out as designed. And you know the one I think especially about I know you don't want to talk about it, but when when the Giants upended the Patriots in that 08 Super Bowl, mm-hmm. the the catch uh, where he pinned it to his helmet. Uh, yes. Ty, uh, where, where, what was his name? Not Tyree. David Tyree. David. Yeah. D- is it David Tyree? Yeah, okay. I will remember. It's like my, it's like my Bucky effing Dent. It's that's that's that David effing Tyree. Yes. But but when you watch that play, that play was not one that went anywhere according to plan. I mean, it it was. Dude, don't get I me mean, don't get me started on that play because I can I can deliver <laughs> you a dissertation on that of how that shouldn't have even. The fact that that they they didn't blow Professor the whistle. Professor Todd and his theses on the 08 uh, Super Bowl. No, my theses on the feces that was that play. <laughs> because every other time well when you're when you're talking about how how well they're trying to protect quarterbacks, okay? You see quarterbacks they're blowing the play dead when they when the quarterback is in the grasp, right? Like right. Bill, the refs do that in a heartbeat now. They let Peyton they let Peyton uh, Eli stand there in the grasp forever mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for freaking ever and yeah. then he manages to get free i think he and he was surprised that the whistle wasn't blown yeah. and then throws that throws that lob to david tyree and that to me okay yeah great play hey fine i'm not gonna you know it it, it happened i'm not gonna argue it 
You know, I'm not going to be like a Raiders fan and sit here and whine about the tuck rule and all that crap. But I'm, I'm just saying that was not skill. Right. You know, it was it, it, there is skill involved. David Tyree obviously got a hand on the ball. Mm-hmm. Eli managed to take advantage of what was happening on the field and the ref not blowing the whistle and managing to get free of the tacklers. Fine. That's all skill. It is absolute, pure, sheer luck that you pin a round object to a round object. And it, uh, and it doesn't athle- go in. Athleticism, if you Athleticism, will. my butt. That's luck. <laughs> that is... Come on now. No, I'm he, serious. He had to hold it up against his helmet, man. That wasn't easy. And you know what? what, what I can't believe I'm arguing for David Tyree. But you what know what heck? happens when you have a round object against a round object and you hold it really tightly? Yes. What's going to happen? It's going to go... Whoop! The pressure is going to make it normally go flying. It was yeah. just luck. And, hey, I'm okay with that. There's a whole lot of stuff that's happened with the Patriots that's been luck. I mean, yeah. no doubt. In any any given game, you can point to, like, two or three things. You're like, that could have gone either way. I'm not trying to argue and, and, and like, say, oh, they're an illegitimate Super Bowl champion. That, no, I'm, I'm, hey, it happened. Yeah. But let's, let's say there, there was skill. There was also luck involved. Sure, you know what I mean? Sure. So that's anyways, that that is my that is my dissertation. Oh my brother! Oh testify! The quiz will be on Thursday. I will be studying. I know you will, because you're a little apple polisher, aren't you? I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. I am. <laughs> All right. I, I finished season three of VSG. Oh, you know what? You watch your ass. <laughs> Damn it, I knew oh. that was gonna come back and bite me. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the last time I confess my sins. Oh my god! All right, let's move on to the next one, shall we? Because I think we've yes. I think we've conveyed the point there. I, I think so. Um, so actually, this next one is yours. So why don't you go ahead and read this one? Well, I, I just brought up the parody, um, the the aspect of parody in in the NFL and how different the league seems to function um, with the way they they adjust schedules um, for teams when they have a certain amount of success versus not. You know, strength of schedule seems to get adjusted that way. And just across the board, you see different teams almost year over year, you know, making it into the Super Bowl. I, I, the, the Patriots are the exception as of late. You know, they, they have been in... Um, as of late? It's been, it's been almost 20 years, sir. I don't know if we well, can say as of late. But, but let's be honest. It, it wasn't like it was a foregone conclusion, you know, the, the way it has been the last few years. No, you know not, saying? not at all. I'm just trying to say that if the NFL is 100 years old... A fifth of that time, the Patriots have been have been like almost Understood. a dead, Understood. you know, lead pipe cinch for the playoffs at least. But if I go back in, because um, I, I brought up a list of of you know all the Super Bowl matches. If of I course, you from, did. Yeah, uh, you know, because apple polisher, I am. You watch your ass. Um, so <laughs> going just, backwards here, you're so much better at this than I am. You're gonna ditch <laughs> me like a bad habit. You're gonna have a new co-host by episode fifteen. Nah, that's, that's it. I'm gonna keep you around at least till twenty. <laughs> oh, All right. Nice. <laughs> you know what? I'll take it. I've, I've again, I've got low standards. Fine. All right. S- setting aside the Patriots as one of the teams, you've had the Rams, the Eagles, the Falcons. You've had the Broncos and Panthers. You've had the Seahawks. You've had the Ravens, the Niners, the Giants, the Packers, Steelers. I mean, I'm going back to 2010 here, the Saints and Colts. Wow. So you you, you have probably, I mean, I didn't count all of that, but it has to be 10 or more, I think. Now, at this point, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, pretty much, there's, isn't it only the only two teams who have never made it to a Super Bowl are the Browns and the Lions? It could be, yeah. 
I'm trying to, I'm like doing the quick, uh, no, Texans. Oh, Texans, okay. It's it's 12 or 13 teams, roughly. Yeah. I just counted. Now, when you compare that to like baseball mm. or basketball, you don't see that kind of variance most of the time in, in the finals. You know what I mean? Like the, there, there are these stretches where you have teams that just simply show up, you know, every year. Yeah. Um, and most recent, and maybe it's not fair, but I mean, most recently it was, was was it the Cavs and the and the Warriors? Oh my gosh, who was last year? I can't. The Warriors. I'm well, th- not last year, but there was a stretch of like two or three years. Oh where yeah, it was yeah. The Warriors versus I think the Cavs. Yeah, because it was it was LeBron versus the Cavs and. Right, right, and so it wasn't a, a I foregone mean, LeBron conclusion. versus the Warriors. I'm sorry. Right. No, no, it's okay. And and you know with baseball, there's that you know the running joke about it's either the Yankees or the Red Sox or. Um, or the Cardinals, you know, or, or, or the Cardinals, or you know some some other big money team. Now yeah. this year, of course, you know I, I say this, and of course this year it's the Nationals and the Astros, which is yeah <laughs> completely contradicting my point. It's, so it's almost MLB's like nightmare scenario, really. Yeah. Like the only thing worse would be if, if it was like you know uh, San Diego versus Tampa, the, right. the least right. watched sporting event ever, next to like the ping pong regional championships for the Southwest, right. But including the Patriots in, in the group of teams that I just you know kind of ran through, if you go back 10 or 15 years, all of those teams were very poor teams. Oh, yeah. You know, the, 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 the fact that Seahawks are even in the conversation is, as having been in, um, I think they were in two of these Super Bowls, weren't they? Yeah, yes. yeah, there were two Super Bowls they were in. You know, the Seahawks were always just an awful team, you know, back in the 80s and 90s. Hey, you know, they were never expected to do anything. They had David, uh, David Krieg. Yeah, and they had uh, Cortez Kennedy. Man, come on! Right, and right. and let's not forget the boss. Oh, the boss! How could I forget him? Just watching somebody's career die at a goal line was really rough. <laughs> that was that was Bo Jackson just like ripping his soul out on the way to the end zone. <laughs> like this is mine now. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Gosh, but uh, yeah, I get you know, what you're the, saying. It and the Colts. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's just a, a lot of teams have gone through that cycle of, of having those down years, but they've at least been able to work their way through talent acquisition, through uh, the ability to kind of build the team up. You know, maybe it is with a weak schedule, but then, you know, over time and, and, and building up a core, they're able to compete at a higher level and, and, you know, progress, you know, through the playoffs further. Yeah. Um, well, and they've also, they, they don't have like the whole, the small market, sort of thing like baseball has so right you know and, and it's probably there's probably like revenue sharing and all kinds of really fancy things that could, people could throw at me that i'm frankly not interested in so but the idea of like you know you don't have these you know green bay is a small market team but they're very competitive and you know mm-hmm. and it is kind of funny that we're talking about seattle now is like this perennial you know top team because i remember years ago like one of the things that was seattle was kind of if i remember right they were one of the first losing teams to to win a division mm-hmm. back when the, it, they were like seven and nine and they they won their division and got into the playoffs and it was like oh mm-hmm. dear god we hope they don't beat anyone because this is a, this is a laughing stock if they actually manage to get to the super bowl that a seven and nine team right. make it that far and i mean let's face it with the with the way that things have turned out someone gets hot i mean yeah. it could have happened really but yeah, I I think that they've done the NFL has done a especially good job of making sure that they kind of have that that top quarter of good teams, the middle area, and then the bottom area, and and 
even in that bottom quarter of like just miserable teams, yeah. there's always that little glimmer of hope. You know what I right. mean? And they seem to have been able to really to really work that, that whole like any given Sunday sort of thing. Right, and, and I haven't, I, I mean, I did a little bit of research. I, I didn't dig into things like you were mentioning about the financials behind it or, you know, ownership. You know, certainly it, it probably doesn't hurt. Like I, I believe one of the executives from Microsoft, I thought, was part owner of the Seahawks. And so I, I don't know if when he came to be that, that changed everything or not. I, I don't know. But, you know, money certainly plays a factor in it. That That's no doubt because they need money to, to buy, you know, and, and bring talent in. But at the same time, you know, setting aside all those variables that probably are important to the conversation, but not, you know, for what we're trying to talk about. Yeah. I look at a team like, like uh, uh, the Browns, where they're kind of a case study where they're right in the middle, I think, of this transition, you know, where they had um, a few things kind of work in their favor in terms of um, getting a, a, you know, drafting what appears to be a solid quarterback. I think he needs some maturing. You know, I think, you know, part of what they're going through right now is guys from college who just get thrust into the starting role. I don't think do as well as guys who work as backups and kind of work their way into the role like Aaron Rodgers did. Well, I mean, but then you always you always have the arguments because didn't Deshaun Watson get in get in pretty quick and he's he seems to have done, you know, pretty well. Ben Roethlisberger started off, you know. Pretty quick. There, there are, yeah, there, there are some that, that can pick it up and go. Um, but I think there are some that need that maturing process. And Yeah. Do you think that might be more, more to the individual or even the, the franchise itself? Because if you, have a, if, you have a, if you have at least a middling team around the, the quarterback, it's definitely a better chance they're going to succeed, right? Right. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. But, but I think it's a combination of those things. I think it's... Mm. How the organization is run, I think it's the individual, because that's a lot of pressure to put on someone's shoulders, you know, to, to now be the franchise quarterback and to be the one that everyone's pinning their hopes on to, you know, taking this team from, you know, the, the basement to a championship. Fair enough. Um, and, and, you know, when I say organization, I mean coaching. I, I think right now the Browns' problem isn't talent. Their problem is coaching. You know, Bill, Bill Simmons, I'll have to pull the tweet up, but he had a hysterical tweet last week when the Browns lost. And he's like basically saying, yeah, Nick Chubb is rushing on average 11 yards a carry. So let's hand the ball off to Baker Mayfield so he can just throw, you know, some erratic pass to, you know, a, a well-covered receiver so it can be intercepted. You yeah. know, it, basically saying, why can't the Browns get out of their own way and realize when they have a good thing going? I mean, if – Again, I, I, I hate to come back to the Patriots, but I think they are a, a, a example of coaching done right. Yes. You know, where, where they're able to um, basically identify and, and adjust their game plan and, um, and, and based on that, you know, have greater success. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, I mean, you can see the kind of the lack of depth in coaching just by how some of these guys still have jobs. Right, right, and, and it's just okay, fine. You know, we'll we'll re- retread this guy again. Like Marty Schottenheimer got so many different chances at jobs back in the day, it was unbelievable. Like this guy has never gotten over the hump, and and yeah. and never will. But people keep throwing money at him, and he just yeah. gleefully starts taking it. Like, sure, I can't develop a quarterback worth a squat. 
Can't right. win in the playoffs, but sure, hand me another big contract. See what happens. Yeah, or like what's happening with Gruden right now in Oakland. I mean, I, I oh, don't understand good what's Lord. going on over there. Well, that's and, – and here's the other thing. Like this whole parody thing – they're, they like the Patriots are one nightmare scenario for the NFL because they don't want that. I mean, on one hand, they kind of like the idea of a dynasty, but on the other hand, they really want everyone to have hope. And when you have a team that just keeps going and going and going and going year after year, it messes up their equations. That happens at the other end too when you have teams like Washington, like uh, like the Raiders, and and Cleveland who just can't get out of their own way. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are messing up the equation that is driving the NFL nuts. Like, okay, you guys have to, just by by law of averages, you should at least have one year when you don't suck, but you continue to do it. It's how, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I could just imagine, like, some of these executives pulling their hair out. Like, you should have at least picked someone good by now by accident. Like, how, how have the Browns not had a good quarterback since the, since the franchise came back? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's. I mean, they've been pinning their hopes to the likes of Derek Anderson and Kelly Holcomb. Yeah. Those guys should should be working the counter at CVS. They shouldn't be quarterbacking <laughs> your team. I'm sorry. No offense. Yep. But anyway, that those are the things that kind of mess up that parody thing. But otherwise, they've done a good job of it, and it shows. And it, yeah, and it, it does absolutely. create interest. And, and and I think that lends itself to, to the to the first point we talked about with the season and the games and the excitement behind them because – you, you know, especially when you start to see a team that's that's on its way up. Um, you know, I, I joked with a colleague at work this season that given the lineup on paper for the Browns, that, you know, the Patriots would be facing the Browns in the AFC Championship. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Browns have struggled. Um, and I think what, like I said, what becomes clear is that coaching needs to be adjusted. But, yeah. um, but the fact that we can even have that conversation and it's not a complete joke you know, because of the fact that, you know, they, they happen to have, uh, you know, like you mentioned, they happen to have luck when it came to talent acquisition, you know, to get uh, Odell Beckham Jr. the way they did, which, I mean, in any other probably reality, it never would have happened. Like, no one understands what the Giants were thinking. Other well, than yes, just, you, know, you can add the Giants to that list, too, because they, they appear to be right. completely clueless and rudderless. Just with, right. I mean, it's one thing, just to how they, they handled the whole Eli Manning situation last year is just an example of how st- stupid they are yes in, in terms of management right now is it's unbelievable and you and, and and you're right that throws off off parity when the human factor comes into play like that when you just have poor decision making even though the system is kind of set up to to help you along yeah i would even i would even i would even say it goes outside of the human factor it's the moron factor it's <laughs> it's it's people who just are willfully making the wrong decision like someone's yeah. trying to hand them the right answer and they're like nope 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 it's like hitting on 20 it's like hitting on 21 in blackjack like no you've you won no 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 no. i want another card really i too like to live dangerously um well now i know why you lost at blackjack yes i well i don't math (laughs) there you go uh, so now let's let's move on because we're going to get into more specific things and and we 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 don't want to get into specific things we want to just try and kind of tackle these things in a in a holistic larger sense the hundred thousand foot level yes mostly just to hide my own ignorance uh, so let's uh, go on to the next point which uh, player acquisition is not formulaic now you you kind of kick this one in and it's something I hadn't really thought about but it makes total sense. So kind of ex- explain this one to me. Yeah, so so basically 
the better way to articulate this is it, it's not a foregone conclusion when a team um, drafts first or drafts high, um, you know, for football that the talent they acquire necessarily becomes the superstar or the the promise of that that all star athlete that the team is is hoping for. the The idea is that when you go higher in the draft, you are more talented, that you are um, athletically and mentally capable um, given your prior work in college that led to, to, to the high placement in the draft. However, we've seen a lot of teams that have picked high. I mean, the Browns are a great example of that. They've, they've been getting high draft picks for the last few years and just were not seeing anything materialize from it. The last 20. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so far... And then, and, and of course, we're, we, we don't hide our Patriots fandom on, on the show, but... Picking in the high you, 20s and low 30s. <laughs> so you probably know where Missed I'm going. Missed the playoffs twice in 19 yes. years. Yes. Go figure, yep. you know. But, you know, our, our quarterback who was taken in the sixth round... Um, yes. You know, completely you know, under the radar of most teams. And it's worked out pretty well so far. And, you know, there's other factors to that other than just being, you know, Tom Brady being a talented quarterback. I mean, you know, there's certainly talent inherent in him, but there's also a system that he's worked within that's, that's you know, combined with good coaching and good player acquisition has just led to the run they've been on. Yeah. You're Tom Brady from the New England Patriots. Oh, man, I got to tell you, you kick ass, man. So I, I like the fact with – you know, to say the NFL is the best because of this, it, it's more about, I think it goes back to point number two, that when you have teams that can apply sound strategy and intelligence, not just on the field, but with their acquisitions, then you start to see teams that have a healthy run or, or have some, you know, long measure of success because there's a plan in motion, there's a strategy in play, and it's not a team that's always going for the bright, shiny object. They're, they're going for someone because there is something you know, inherent not only in the athleticism and the talent of them, but also in the character. I want to kiss you. I couldn't care less about the team struggling. And whether or not they fit in the system. You know, I mean, they're, they're, all these teams have systems that they work within. And so whether that, that player fits in that system um, is a big question they have to answer before, before drafting them. So I, I just feel like, I mean, you know, I'm sure this argument could be made for baseball um, for hockey, for other sports as well, because, you know, there's always going to be that diamond in the rough. But with, with the NFL, there's for a period of time, there was always a big deal made about the early draft picks and, and how much success they have. And there's been a, a, a litany of examples from Ryan Leaf on to guys mm. who just did not pan out yeah. for one reason or another. And, and so I, I think in that sense, it kind of lends itself both to the parody aspect of things and then also to how teams kind of respond both, you know, from that strategic and intelligence standpoint. Now, I'm going to I'm going to agree and disagree with you here. So I Please do. I'm, I'm going to stretch a little bit because I'm going to have to contort myself a little bit to pull this one off. And chances are I'm going to throw up my back. Yes. Go ahead. Pop yourself another one, sir. Um, I am waiting and ready. So I agree uh, that it. It isn't. It isn't a foregone conclusion, and I think you're right in, in saying you can point this out in other leagues as well. Um, however, I think it goes back to something that you said with our first point with the 16 game season. It's all about high stakes. There's only uh, what is it? Seven rounds of the NFL draft now. I believe so. Yeah. So you only have seven rounds of, of drafting, and I mean, let's face it. The the first three are really kind of the high impact ones. Uh, even though I mean, you, you definitely get 
impact players in the later rounds, but it's not as prevalent. And that's the case in all drafts. Like the, really, the the beginning area is where you're going to find most of your high impact players. Right. However, the NFL is the only draft, and I would say even player acquisition that can absolutely make or break you. Like an, an mm-hmm. entire franchise can turn on one pick. Whereas in baseball and in hockey, like true fans know who the top picks are and they know all these they know these players but the fact is casual fans don't really i mean who was picked last year first in the nf uh the mlb draft no idea yet beat me or or, uh, how about the nhl draft no idea exactly and part of the reason of that is we're not going to see those players right away they all go into these developmental leagues and this developmental farm system that both hockey and baseball have built up over the years. Like they both have an established system of how players are going to they're going to start, they're going to get drafted and then you're not going to see them for at least probably a year unless they are like some phenom talent and then you might see them midway through the season. Yeah. But as a rule, those players don't make opening day rosters. They're not going to be sitting on the bench for the Bruins next year when they get drafted. You know, they, they're going to go down to Providence, or they, they might even go further down than that in another league, and then they finally kind of work their way up. But these players are just kind of, they disappear for a little while, and you're not going to hear right, about them. Right. I think the NBA is the closest you find to the, N, to the NFL system, and that's partially because the, the, the NBA farm system is still in development. Like, I think, how many teams are there in the NBA right now? I, I can't remember. I thought it was th- 32 okay so right now uh so the yeah because it's like 16 per per conference i think okay so the g league which is the it used to be the d league i think now it's sponsored by gatorade so they call it the g league i don't know anyways there's one in portland so i i i've gone to some games i'm probably going to actually try and go this year because the celtics seem like they're stashing some good players uh on the roster but anyway so there's 28 teams in that league so there's and it started out with a lot less it used to be like two or three teams were sharing a developmental team so it was like the celtics and the bobcats and i think there was a third team that started sharing the portland franchise when it first started out and now they're getting to a point where each team has their own developmental roster but not quite they're still not even full-fledged so it's still a lot like the nfl where there's there's not really a place you stash players you have your practice squad and then you have the the guys kind of floating around as free agents there's no place to develop them so you don't take yeah. like a first round pick and say, yeah, we're going to send him down to, you know, Altoona and, and let him play down there for a couple seasons doing, you know, minor league football. Right, so it, right. like that player is going to get signed. They're going to get paid a buttload of money and they might sit on the bench or they might get thrown right in because you have no choice. Yeah. So I think that's that's what it's, it is high stakes. Like when you draft someone early, they've got to make an impact because you ain't got no place to hide them. <laughs> they're right, they're going to be right. on the freaking sidelines, and fans are going to see them. And, and you know how fans are. Who's the best quarterback in town? Well, unless it's like one of the top five quarterbacks, it's your backup. Everybody thinks the backup is better. Everybody wants to see you know the young kid or this and that and the other. Everyone thinks that they're an expert because they played Madden. Rex Grossman's our quarterback. Oof. No, God, please, no, no. I don't, I don't know if you get that joke, but the, there, like, there is there, no there, this, there is no scarier phrase in the English language for a football fan than that. <laughs> but there, there was a sports radio show I used to listen to quite a bit, and they would play that thing constantly when Grossman was on the team. Oh, gosh. 
I can't even remember the coach's name. Who, who Lovey Smith, de- wasn't it? Lovey Smith deadpan that one. It's like Rex Grossman's our quarterback. <laughs> and you know why he deadpanned it? Because he was dying on the inside just saying those words. Uh, yeah. But anyways, I think that no, but I think but it's more I, high I, stakes. I agree with you. Yeah. No, I, absolutely. I, I totally agree. Well, cool. I'm glad I brought you around, or actually, I probably just reconveyed your point. But either way, I'm going to take. Well, it. you you brought a different angle to it than what I was saying. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the high stakes part of it is is a is a very good point. And I mentioned Ryan Leaf, and you know, I'm sure there's a few other cases we can think of of players that had a lot of promise. Um, you know, RG3 was another one. Well, that was a different um, case because they, they screwed him up. They He might have actually done something if they hadn't yeah. completely just messed him up injury-wise. Right. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. But but That was like, you know, that, that was like is, a third and fourth points colliding in one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, again, you, you have the system in place where, you know, again, teams are given an opportunity to get – you know, talent earlier than others. And, you know, there's a lot of machinations and, you know, trades and swapping of picks going on. But but at the end of the day, you know, I, I look at someone like, like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's playing in for the 49ers. You know, I mean, he was a backup for Brady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there he is just, you know, again, developing. And now he's, you know, uh, starting for the 49ers. They're undefeated, you know, behind his arm. And, you know, I, I think some of that comes down to like, like what you're saying is, is, you know, having that ability to develop the players, you know, some of them have to make an impact out of the gate, but I think those who have an opportunity to, to mature and to, and to kind of evolve um, without having the spotlight on them right away, I think are the ones that, you know, end up shining in the long run. It's just a question of, of teams and how they choose to execute, you know, the, the, the way that they bring the talent to the field. Yeah. So if you're saying that I brought a new uh, a new angle to that, does that mean that uh, that I brought the tables? Oh, my brother, testify. <laughs> that idea is just the worst. So now we're going to dive into uh, why the NFL is the worst. So uh, this first one is mine, and this is my uh, particular axe to grind with the league at the moment. Uh, the league is completely disingenuous about their care for players' safety. It seems like uh, every year they want to try and add more games to each season. They want to force teams at least once per season to play Sunday, then turn around and play on Thursday. And in, and that's in addition to all the other physical rigors that these players are going through. So they, they seem to they want to say, oh, no, we care about player safety. And yet then they're like, oh, well, but we want you to play more games. And oh, by the way, four days after you just went through a series of car wrecks, we want you to play another full game. Which to me, this just spoils a lot of the NFL because obviously there's ways they could fix this, but they don't. They and they choose not to. Yeah. Let's let's face it. They are making so much money that they could essentially do whatever they want. They're not going to lose that many fans. They've done more than enough to piss off fans over the years, and they haven't yeah. lost that many. They could fix this. They just don't want to. And it has one reason why, and it's one word: uh, greed. Greed, for lack of a better word is good yeah and the Patriots just came off doing well I mean they're gonna be playing on Monday night but they played I think Thursday was it two weeks ago yeah not not this past Thursday but the prior one yeah it's 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 a I mean I I don't play football so I'm not trying to say like I know what they go through but I have to imagine that it is a pretty brutal grind to play on a Sunday and then know that you've got to play on a Thursday yeah I mean you have less preparation time for the team you're playing you have less recovery time for the the amount of physicality that had, had happened in the Sunday game. 
and then you're going out and playing, you know, in prime time um, in front of, you know, a, a pretty big viewing audience and, and having to go out there and, and again, do it all over again. Now, you know, th- these are big boys, they're, they're tough and whatnot, but at the same time, you know, it, it just like, like I, I, you know, your, your point here is, is the disingenuous nature of it. Yeah. You know, the, the fact that you can't really claim player safety, but then put them in a situation where they are putting their bodies through the ringer with basically less than three days rest, yeah. you know? And, and, and then the constant, you know, floating of the idea of, oh, well, what about an 18 game season? What if we eliminate some, some preseason games and then we'll add games, you know, cause that's what they want. They want more money games. They'll say, oh, well, it's the same amount right. of games. No, it isn't. You know, it's, it's, it's to me, I just can't stand that two facedness about it. Of, yeah. You know, yeah. oh, we really care. No, you don't, because otherwise you would have admitted the whole concussion thing was a bigger deal with your former players and actually paid them the money that they should have been getting to start out with. You know, it, it took a whole yeah. lot of guys being really messed up for the NFL to actually come around on that. And that's and, and full disclosure, this is part of the reason that I do not watch NFL games. I, and, yeah. and I was a diehard NFL fan. I, I watched every game. For tons of seasons, I did the whole Sunday like one o'clock game, four o'clock game. Then I'd watch the eight o'clock game every single week, whether my team was playing or not. I was just watching football all yep. the time. And now I don't watch football primarily because of this. Yeah, yeah. And and also primarily because of the 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 policies that you know, kind of the arbitrariness of how they enforce different policies against different people and against different teams. Yeah. It's, yeah. It just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of genuine, uh, uh, I don't even know how to put it. Like I just Concern. Well, concern, but I just don't believe the NFL really cares about all yeah. that much except, you know, how many zeros are after the dollar sign. Right, right. Well, and, and you know, when, when the concussion – information started to come to the forefront. I mean, I think it was one of those cases where it couldn't be ignored and there were there was too much that was coming out about it that they could ignore it. You know, I mean, it, it just grew to a point where you, you had enough people. I think one of the guys was a former, um, I, I mean, I don't mean to bring all this stuff back to wrestling, but I think his name is Chris Nowitzki. He was a uh, a guy who who came up through their their tough enough uh, reality you know kind of contest they did and mm-hmm. I think he wrestled for a year or two at WWE but he suffered a, a massive you know a pretty serious concussion and he had to he essentially had to retire and and so he started a group I think in Massachusetts I'm trying to think if it was with MIT or something but maybe it wasn't MIT but he he started something where they were researching brain. Uh, brain trauma mm-hmm. and and I think through him and some other avenues they, they they just came up with this you know unrefutable just uh amount of evidence that just showed that there was a direct correlation and then you know the the you know the the, the league has tried to adjust it, to adjust in some ways but I mean at the end of the day people like football you know for as we've talked about the the reasons we've mentioned the physicality the the brutality and, and, and just, you know, the excitement of the game. And like you said, I think, you know, to, st- to, to start adding games or to start playing games with less amount of recovery time shows a lack of thoughtfulness and concern toward the very players that are engaging in those games. Yeah. And I mean, let's be clear. I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to say, oh, well, we need to protect people from themselves and this and that, you know what, these are all consenting adults. The only part that I, I, 
where I really have a problem with that was back when there was studies that the NFL was deliberately not trying to get information out so the information full information wasn't going to the players but now I mean players have a vague idea of what they're dealing with and fine okay but when you when you're dealing with a system and you're trying to say oh no we care about player safety and then you're trying to take what has been tradition so I mean traditionally you know you've got Sunday night and Monday night football week to week and and you have this run well now you're going to compress it after you've already said, well, we care about play, player safety, but we want to have these games. And, oh, by the way, we want to play games in London, and we want to do this, and we want to do that. All of these yeah. things that are contr- that take away from the player's ability to recover. Because, right. I mean, right. think about it. You're flying to, to London, especially if you're a West Coast team. That's not an easy flight. I've, I've done that. I've gone Chicago to London, and what makes it worse is you can leave – you know, at five o'clock in the evening from Chicago and you will land in London at 8 a.m. the next, basically the next day. And depending on your schedule, if you're, you know, for, for like what I had to do for work, I literally just went right to the office and went. So whatever sleep I got on the plane is what I got. And, you know, for these guys, I mean, you know, certainly they don't play the moment they land, but, you know, I'm sure there's a schedule and, and, you know, things that they do to prepare. And so, you know, again, it just goes to the whole point of what is that doing to them and, and their health and their well-being? Well, and the thing is, you're getting on that plane, you know, not a couple of days after someone hit you like 40 or 50 times. Right. You know, I mean, that, that physical rehabilitation part plays, it, it, it's there. And to, to then take this schedule that, okay, well, fine, okay, we don't want, you're not going to tell people you have to play every other week now because we're so, you know, concerned about, it. I'm not going to try and say that. But if you're going to say, Instead of six or seven days in between games, we're now going to give you four. Yeah. But we care about player safety. Mm, right. I don't think that you I, – I don't think you understand what that really means. Yeah. So that, that just really bugs me, and that, that really is. That's my axe to grind. So now that I'm done, I've, I've done I'm done grinding my axe. So. <laughs> but you know what? I ask you, if you have an axe and you have a, you have a grinding stone, I mean, <laughs> have at it. it's right there. So let's move on to the next point before I rant and rave further on this because that's just not exciting for anybody and it's no fun for me either because then I won't be able to sleep tonight because I'll just be like, you know, I'll be shaking my fist at the ceiling. Shake harder, boy! So the next reason why the NFL is the worst is, uh, and this is one of my little, another one of my little hobby horses to ride here, the playoff seedings are completely fracked uh so i mean with division winners getting an automatic bid meaning that better teams can get left out of the playoffs just because they happen to be in a good division and then somebody who is in a bad division gets in automatically yeah and i mean personally i think this really messes with the entire you know uh this entire high stakes mentality of the of the nfl playoffs and the nfl season anyways and it's so simple how they could do this so simple that you just take like the top two division team, two two division winners, and then everyone else gets in the in the division just gets reseeded after that. So whether you win your division or not, but if you're like nine and seven, and there's a bunch of ten and six and eleven and five and twelve and four teams above you, sorry, you don't make it. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Is this referring to the Seahawks debacle of uh, 2000 whatever? Well, that and uh, remember the year that uh, that that Brady got hurt. Yeah. And and the Patriots were were 11 and 5 and they mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs. I mean, that's not like a that's not a 9 and 7 season. That's not even 10 and 6 where you're like, "Okay, that's 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 really good." 
But I could see you getting missing the playoffs with that. 11-5 and five to me just feels like that ought to be a playoff team. And I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure the team that got in was a worse record than that, or it was it was the same record. But I mean, it was one of those deals where it shouldn't have even been, it shouldn't have really even been a discussion. Like, no, that yeah. that team should make the playoffs. And there's been other cases where you know teams probably should have made it, but where something is that high stakes, it shouldn't come down to well, you just won your division, and you had three other teams that really sucked in your division, so you just beat up on them, and that's where most of your wins came from. And oh, you make the playoffs. Woohoo. That just bugs me. Yeah. No, I, I was going to try to look it up, but I didn't have enough time. Um, but yeah, I, I would be curious. And I, if I had to guess, it was probably a team from the AFC West <laughs> that, that made it in over the Patriots. That yeah, year, but. I would. I would guess because because that would make sense that 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 division, you know, always doesn't seem to really have a, a team. I mean, I, I mean, the Chiefs the last couple of years have been really good. But there was a period of time where, you know, it was like a lot of nine and seven or, or, uh, you know, 10, 10 and six kind of teams um, coming out of there. So, yeah, so I, I, I would agree. I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I, I agree and I disagree to some, to, to some extent. I, I think, you know, like you're saying, there, there is that opportunity for, you know, teams with better records to get left out. I don't know. I almost feel like if you're going to go that way, I think the division winner aspect of it should probably get taken off the table completely. And just have it be, you know, the the top six teams with the best records just go. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then you have some purists that are probably not going to like the fact that you could have a division completely left out, you know. But at the same time, the argument can be made, well, look, you know, given the high stakes nature of this game and of of the season, as we talked about, you know, if if no one makes it from the division, you know, too bad, so sad. You get Nothing. You know, it's it, it's about what these teams do in terms of their performance and whether they are able to, you know, execute their game plans to win. Mm-hmm. And if they can't, then I don't know why they should get a free ride into the playoffs. Good day, sir. Well, okay, so I did I did look it up here, and you have it was the San Diego Chargers at a mighty eight and eight, who are the who are the AFC West champions, and the Patriots. And the New York Jets both had better records. Uh, the Patriots yeah. were eleven and five. The Jets were nine and seven. Uh, the division winner that year would have been the Dolphins at eleven to f- eleven and five, equal mm. with the Patriots. So I believe that came down to like two or three, like a tiebreaker. Yeah, it was like, the, but it was way down in the tiebreakers. Like it was like the thing before I think the coin toss. Oh, but I mean, you tell me, an eight and eight team got in over an eleven and five and a nine and seven team. I mean, nine and seven. At least I can make the argument that, like, well, it's only one game, and it's the Jets, so I don't really care. But yeah, eleven and five—that's three games better. Yeah, and that's just the most well-known example that I know of. You know what I mean? Well, and and and, and one way you you could turn it around and and take the division winner, you know, automatic bid piece out of this is, uh, but but yet keep the division winner as as something to attain is um, just make it about home field advantage at that point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like maybe that gives you, you like know, an stat- extra leg up if you if you went yes. you won your division, you get an extra like point or something. Right, stack it by record, and if you happen to be a division winner, then maybe that factors into you getting home field advantage or not. You know, especially if you have two teams that are like twelve and three. You know, number well, I guess they wouldn't face each other to to start with. Uh, typically, they are on opposite ends of the bracket. So yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think – and, I mean, typically I think your number one and number two teams would be the two division winners um, for the most part. Yeah. 
um, because they would have the best records. But maybe that's not the case. I don't well, know. actually, so that year is interesting in the AFC. So you had uh, Tennessee was the best team. They were the best team in the NFL. They were 13-3. and three. Pittsburgh Steelers were 12-4, and four, uh, North Champs. And then you had um, Indianapolis Colts, who were 12-4. and four. They were the top wild card team. Because really? they they were second in they were in they're in the same division as the Titans, interesting. So they were they were a wild card team. They had a better record than two of the division winners or three. I'm sorry, Baltimore, mm-hmm. Miami, and San Diego. They had one more. They had they had a better record, one more win than the than Baltimore and Miami. They had four more wins than San Diego. Okay, so if if you if if we applied our theoretical approach to this using that year as an example, what would the top six teams w- would have been for, for, uh, for that Well, the year? top six teams would have been basically the same, except you take out San Diego and you put in New England. And that gives you okay. three 11-5 teams, two 12-4 teams, and one 13-3 team and that would in make your sense. playoffs. That would make total sense. And then over in the, the NFC, they had two 12-4 teams, um, they had one 11 and five team. They had a 10 and six team, and then they had, uh, well, <laughs> they had a nine and seven team coming out of the West. That was the Cardinals, and it's then the West. And then the, no, this is even worse. So, uh, well, no, actually, because they weren't a division winner. But the the uh, the final wild card in the NFC that year was the nine six and one Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. And so, but there was also. Three teams that were nine and seven. So you had Tampa Bay, Dallas, and Chicago, who all technically had a better record than Philadelphia. <laughs> Although, so, all, so, well, actually, how are they? How do you say? How do you have a better win loss percent? Well, I guess how does a tie get you a better? Well, it's better than a loss. Okay, so fine. I guess they say that the with a tie, you don't have to carry the one. I know. I'm. I'm again. I suck at math. So me doing this. <laughs> You throw a tie in here, and I'm all screwed up. I don't know what the heck to do with this. Shake out a boy. Exactly. But, I mean, you could make the case that, okay, the NFC kind of worked out fine. So, so, so there was no difference if you applied that line of thinking? Well, it would have. I mean, I guess you could have said that, honestly, Philadelphia should have been higher ranked than Arizona because Arizona had a 9-7 and record. Philadelphia was nine six and one. Technically, their win percentage was uh, was point five nine four. A nine okay. and seven record is point five six three. Okay, so so yeah, so the Eagles would have been higher. They should have been higher ranked than the than the than the Cardinals. So in the NFC, would anything have changed if we just based it on record, or was it uh, pretty much the same? No, it would have been the exact same except for the actual seedings, though. That's the thing, though. The seedings are oh, important because those wild yes. card teams have to play that first week. In that in that context, Arizona would have had to play the first week. Philadelphia, uh, or wait a minute, no, I'm sorry, it's only the top two teams who don't play. But still, right. you get the difference in opponents could theoretically change. Now, I I don't know who played. Oh yeah, so Philadelphia played at Minnesota, and then uh, Atlanta played at Arizona. So again, I mean, it's it's a I mean in that in that context, Arizona should not have had a home game, but they yeah. did because they were playing the the, uh, the wild card, which was the eleven and five Falcons. So the eleven and five Falcons were playing away at the nine and seven Arizona Cardinals. 
That's well, ridiculous. And, and, like you should get yeah, home field advantage when you have two be- two better two more ga- uh, wins in the bag than the other well, team. Well, and and that kind of negates my idea of the division winner should get home field because then Arizona still would have had home field, right? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, again, it depends on how else you shake that out. Shake harder, boy. Because if you had then just taken them top to bottom and said, "Oh well," I don't, I don't know. I you, I think you would have to take the the home field out for the for the division winners. It would kind of become meaningless. Yeah. Which I'm fine with. I think that makes more sense. I mean, talking through this as a thought experiment, I I, I do think the idea. I I think it'd be kind of interesting to to go back over the last few years and see if record would have made a big difference or not both I guess first with the teams that were would be included and then secondly with the way the seedings would have worked you know you know, you for, know I suck versus. at homework right I mean we've already established this you think well <laughs> I don't know there are times when you apply yourself my friend well and, that's uh, that's always been the case and go back to talk to my fourth grade <laughs> teacher and she'll tell you you are such a disappointing pair that Todd he's not gonna do anything <laughs> Pretty much. Are you sure you weren't in my class? No, I was not in your class. All right. Yeah, it's it's a good point you're making because it, unlike other sports where, I mean, I, I know baseball isn't exactly like this either, but you would think schedule would, would take precedent over just placement in your division. You know what I mean? Like these guys, these teams play 16 games, you know, their their whole point of being out there is to win. You know, they, they go out there to play a game, to execute their plan. And, and to come away with a win. If they can't accomplish that, yeah, I don't know why you would 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 reward them with, you know, placement or, you know, better seeding, you know, than a team that, that did accomplish their goals. Now, you could make the argument strength of schedule might come into play and maybe, you know, that there's variables they're trying to balance across the board here or not. But I, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting idea. Well, I think that even, even taking into account strength of schedule, the fact is, it, especially where everything is high stakes, it's winner go home every single playoff game. You want to get this right. It, it's much more meaningful your seating in, in playoffs, and and especially in terms of like how you count the games in order to get in. Yeah, that is Im- incredibly important. And to have it and to have something hinge on well, they won a division. Their division sucks. Yeah. I mean, you get in at nine and seven. That means, uh, uh, well, I'm just going to use simple math. Everyone was worse than that. <laughs> so 500 or less, and you just happen to be the one that crept one game above 500. Or in San Diego's case that year, you didn't creep over 500, and you just happen yeah. to be the least sucky team in a sucky division. <laughs> wow. That's... See, you can, you can do math. <laughs> yes. This team sucketh less than that team sucketh. You suck. The factor of suck is much less with this team. See, I. You know what? I should have totally gone for a math major in college. Why? Why was I expecting to hear like a Bill and Ted like you know guitar riff at that point after you said sucketh? I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll add that in later in post. Um, you should. Let's let's move on to the next one because I I feel like we're we're dwelling on this and we I think we've made the point fairly. Well, I'm I'm probably hammering on it more than I probably should, but it, but you intrigued me. So well, point point number three. Uh, actually, I kind of want to do I want to do your point, and then I want to go back to the to point number three. So sure, could we do that? Okay. As as nobody Absolutely. else is looking at the same outline that we are, but hey, you know we're drawing we are back the curtain. All about the flexibility. We're drawing back the curtain on the great and mighty Oz right now. We do actually have a we have an outline, and we still 
sound like this. So organization, <laughs> you suck. All right, so so why don't you hit me up with a with this point, which is uh, which was four, which is now going to be three. Yeah. So I thought that. One of the things that, that I feel the NFL is the worst about is is the consistency and application of penalties, um, especially in the within the realm of pass interference and uh, and to some degree holding. I mean, roughing the passer. I, I don't think they've gotten too ridiculous with, but I, I just feel like um, and, and it's very telling because when I have watched, uh, you know, especially with with Patriots in the playoffs. When I've watched some of those games and you see these close plays that don't, you know, end up panning out, there is this in, innate sense inside of you to want to see a flag be thrown. Mm-hmm. As if to make up for the fact that the the players couldn't execute the play. Now, granted, when those, you know, the, the times when they get it right and they throw the flag, you know, they can't execute the play because they are being held or being, you know, stopped from doing what they were intending to do physically by the defender mm-hmm. uh, when when it is not allowed. But I feel like overall it's, it's you know, at times it becomes a crutch and it becomes this sort of thing that it just doesn't feel like it's – it feels like it's so subjective, you know. Yeah. And, and and it's just uh, in, in many ways how I feel, you know, fouls are called in, in, in the NBA, you oh, know, yeah. that where, where you, you don't understand why certain – you know, why players who are very, you know, popular superstar type players can get away with certain things and other players cannot. Yeah. Um, you know, here we we see when defenders cannot, you know, play their position well and a play gets by them, they are, you know, just or, or they, they stop a play from happening. They're, they act, you know, completely surprised or completely upset about the fact that the pass interference was thrown against them. Almost like when Le- you look, how LeBron has never committed a foul ever. Right. Right. And is right. shocked, and, outraged, you might say. And, and you know, let's be honest. These sorts of things do play a role in how these games play out. You know, and, and the comment I put in my, my little blurb here was, you know, when it happens to your team's benefit, of course you love it. And when it goes against your team, you're, you know, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. It's not a, a, a pop, apocalyptic? No, not a pop, apocalyptic. Apoplectic. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just barely got that out. I'm not even going to try again. You at least were able to get the right word. I was just all over the map. Um, well, and it's like it's like I pointed out with the whole Eli Manning thing, which which I I to this day still feel he should have been called in the grasp. But then uh, it was last year with the uh, New Orleans, wasn't it? Where there was there was actually fans who had a petition to like they should go back, and there was the there was the rule in the in the rule books where the commissioner can actually order a game replayed if he felt that something had happened or whatever. And there was fans that were petitioning to, to replay the game from a certain point onwards. You know, this is the most ridiculous thing ever, but yet, I mean, it, it kind of seemed like the refs really botched that one. Oh yeah. And, and yeah, that, that's a great example of one that, that completely turned the tide of a game. You know, I'm, I'm also a, a person who argues for the fact that, you know, if you want your team to, if your team is is destined to win or is meant to win a game, it shouldn't really come down to one call. However, having said that, you know, you inevitably have close games where we're just both teams are just very well matched, and you you know you can't get the point spread to be beyond a touchdown, and then those calls just magnify the problem further because you know, like you said, much much like in the case of um, the Saints and the Rams. 
you know, the Rams got away with, with highway, highway robbery. Mm-hmm. I mean, you watch that play and you're just like, what the heck was the ref thinking? You know, it just, where, where was the call? And it wasn't. Yeah. And so it was just, you know, so, so I think that's where, you know, the, in, in terms of the league, you know, it, it, it's at its worst when the outcomes of, of these high state games, as we've talked about, end up being determined by the subjective nature of some of these penalties and these calls. Well, and it doesn't help that some of the penalties, there's this weird thing of like some things can be reviewed and others can't be. And even the coaches don't. I mean, Bill Belichick, who, I mean, say what you want about him. This is a guy whose knowledge of the game is fairly encyclopedic. And even he is asking refs, can I review that? And they're like, no, you can't review that. Like, even he isn't. 100% 100% sure. Like, I, I can accept that from Andy Reid. Like, Andy Reid barely knows what time it is. But Bill Belichick is one of these guys who seems to know all of this stuff right. at any given moment. And But even he isn't exactly sure what's reviewable. That does not help at yeah. all. No, and, and, and it just it lends itself to an inconsistency that just, you know, either, you know, either elates a fan because the inconsistency works out in their favor or frustrates the fan because then their team loses not because of an inability to play the game or to execute or or to outmaneuver the other team, but because a referee did or did not see something. Yeah. And and, and, and that's and that's really the, the, the travesty of it. And you know, thankfully a lot of games are not determined by that judgment. You know, I mean let, let's keep it in context. You know, I mean it's not like yeah. every game comes down to this. But it's a possibility that it could be. Right. When it gets to end of season or when it gets into the playoffs and the stakes are very, very high to have that happen is just I mean, that, that, that had to be the ultimate gut punch to the Saints. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had the Rams punch their ticket based on a, a poorly subjective you know, referee in terms of, of not making that call. Yeah. And then of, and then you also have and this is something that I think goes across, especially to like uh, to like the NBA. Where we, I mean, we've watched Rob Gronkowski for almost his entire career just be draped in players and very rarely get a pass interference call go his way. Like he was much more likely to get offensive pass interference than a defensive pass interference penalty. Right. And it was almost like, well, he's just so big, it's okay for defensive backs, safeties, just to just to hack the living crap out of him and to be draped all over him. And there was so many times like you'd see like one arm is pinned <laughs> to yeah. his side and he's yeah. reaching with the other, which also has an arm on it <laughs> and and no flag, no whistle. <laughs> like I understand he's a big dude, but that should not count against him, you right. know? It's, it's the weirdest thing, and I think it's really subjective, and I think it also comes down to just the way the NFL does business because they have this this weird review process you know, where they've got like, oh, well, there's the people in New York. We have no idea who the hell the person in New York. It's like some guy named Bob, either that or it's like a non-existent person. Like there's just no one reviewing these plays. It's like Roger Goodell sitting there with like the NFL red zone package, and when he sees something, he gets on the phone. I don't know what it is. But there's like this faceless, nameless person in New York who's apparently watching all the games and will like buzz the referees on like, I'm guessing like probably a pager from 1991 and, and, and tell them, hey, you, you need to go look at that or, you know, don't look at that or, or whatever. I have no right. freaking clue because they really don't tell you how this whole thing works. 
because right. they're the NFL and they don't need to. Good day, sir. Which it kind of feels like that's their explanation for everything. Like we're the NFL, we have the games, and you're gonna you're gonna like it. When 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 you referred to the nameless, faceless person, it kind of made me think of uh, you know Larry David when he played George Steinbrenner in Seinfeld, where where you'd only ever see the back of his head, <laughs> but you see his arms flailing about and him talking in a hysterical manner. That that would actually be about right. You know what? It probably is Larry David. Pretty good. I think it should be. I mean, God, you know, just going on and on about it. This is a travesty. Get replay the game. You know. <laughs> no, because you know what? It would be much more interesting and entertaining. Uh, yeah, and then we wouldn't be kvetching about it so much. I know. So let's hope it isn't. <laughs> All right. So this brings us to our final uh, reason why the NFL is the worst, and and this is really, I think, part of the creme de la creme. Because let's face it, a, a sport is only really as good as its playoffs and championship, and yes. The Super Bowl sucks more than 50% of the time. Like, it's just not as good as we think it's going to be. You know, whether it's a blowout or it's just a really poorly played game, uh, there are some that are really good, and then there's some that are just abjectly horrible. Even if it's, I mean, even if it's just watching a team crush another team, after a while you're like, this kind of, uh, is there any more guacamole left? That's all I can care I, about. Can, can I get another wing, please? Yeah. I don't care if it's cold. You know, you just get to a point where it's like, this. This I would turn this game off, except we, we threw this whole shindig, and it's a party, and it's an event, and I want to see if there's another interesting commercial in the fourth quarter, even though there isn't, because nobody puts interesting commercials in the fourth quarter in case the game sucks. Yeah. So th- that, that, to me, is like one of the big weaknesses, because you're. I always feel like it's 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 really a coin flip as to whether or not the game is actually going to be any good. That after you've gone through this high-stakes 16-game regular season and a bunch of winner-go-home playoff games, you could wind up with a, a final game that just is a big, wet fart of a football game. <laughs> well, jeez, how do you really feel about it? <laughs> I, think I, I think I actually described it pretty well for you right there. I, would you, I, I would you so. care well, for me to elaborate more? Well, actually, I, I, I would like to ask this. Okay. When you say that it is a, a not-so-great game, from what perspective is the game not-so-great? And, and I, I can elaborate once I hear your answer, but I just wanted to ask that question. I think when you're dealing with one team that is so hopelessly outmatched by the other team, that it is not even a competition, and that you, you see, like, or, or if it's a matter of just some of the games are just poorly played. And, and, and I think part of it is that one and done, that's where it really comes into play because this is now the biggest spectacle of the season, but there's no second chances. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, I mean, that, that sounds really good in theory. Like, there's no second chance. Like, that's always the, the announcer before the game. You know, oh, there's no second right. chances and everything counts and it's all this one game. You know what? Sometimes it's nice to have a second chance. Like, some of these, some of the series that you see in in baseball or in basketball or in in hockey they wouldn't have been nearly as dramatic if you'd had that one game like think about the uh, the 2004 ALCS mm-hmm. you judge that on the any of the first 3 games that series kind of sucks mm-hmm. you well know? not if you're a Yankee fan um well i mean i would i would even say as a as a decent baseball game like when you're just shellacking the other team like <laughs> after a little while it, it no matter how much you know how excited you are your team is winning it gets boring after a while it is just 
abjectly boring because there's no there's no competition. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just becomes well, like a game of Madden where you're playing it on easy. Right. So so here here's where my question's coming from because okay. I, I I heard this from a few colleagues this past year with the Patriots, you know, beating the Rams that there were a number of people that just felt it was a very boring game. And mm. when, I, when I probed a little bit deeper for, for what they meant by that, um, I, I think it comes down to a couple things. One is whether or not you care for the teams involved. Yes. You know, I mean, that, that, that's an obvious statement. Obviously, if you're a fan, you are more invested. There's, there, there, there's a deeper emotional connection going on. You care more about what's going on. Mm-hmm. So, so that certainly plays a role. As a football fan, I thought that game, and yes, I, was a, I am a Patriots fan, but that game was a defensive, you know, just a very defensive game. It was fun to watch from that perspective. You know, it, it was not exciting from a, you know, they're throwing bombs and, and, you know, scoring against each other and running the score up by, by any stretch. But it, it was a strategic game. It was a very methodical game. And, and the Patriots just, you know, they, they broke it open when they needed to. Mm-hmm. And so as a fan of that team, I found it to be very exciting. But a lot of people didn't. And this wasn't a blowout. This was a 13-3 to victory for them, which, you know, wasn't really a foregone conclusion through most of the game. I mean, it was, it was a grind. Yeah, which you know, the funny the, the, part is that is the largest margin of victory the Patriots have ever had in a Super Bowl. <laughs> When I, and I think part of that number uh, number one as a I think the you have to take the Patriots out of the equation because there is a lot of Patriots fatigue. Well, I, th- that's where I was going to go next. That the, the, yeah, go ahead. And and so that could have been like the you know the grandest of spectacles. It could have been the 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 Rams versus the Patriots of two thousand one two thousand two again, and people would have been like. Eh. Boring. You know what I mean? Right. They they still would have been like, oh yeah, whatever. It was boring. You know, last second field goal. Yeah, well, whatever. Because they've just seen the Patriots so long, you know, for so many years. So I think you kind of have to take them out of it. But I I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It it really does well, come and, down and, to that. And then going back a year, and I find this interesting because this does involve the Patriots in both cases. Going back a year, the Eagles Patriots game. The conversation is totally different because they lost. Because well, one because they <laughs> lost, but two, both teams legitimately played a. And, and again, not saying this, this last one wasn't very good. Like I said, I think the Rams Patriots game was a very defensive oriented game, and those games, from an action perspective, may not be the most exciting. Yeah, but the Eagles Patriots game was both sides of the ball. Yes, and it was a legitimate, excellently played. You know, for, from both sides, Eagles playing, you know, unconventional Belichick style ball mm-hmm. winning um, was a very exciting game. You go back one more year with, again, the Patriots against the Falcons this time. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, and the comeback. And and in that sense, what's very interesting about that is whether there was the Patriots fatigue or not, there is not one person that I talked to that doesn't say that was one of the best games they have ever seen. Yeah, because they because they factor out. I mean, this is me speculating, but but hear me out. Mm-hmm. I really feel like they're, they're taking the emotion of the fact that it's the Patriots out of it and just said, look at that sort of comeback from that many points down. OK, so I think I know where you're going with this. So I, I think and I think it's it's a fair critique, because I think, though, if you had looked at if it had been another team versus the Rams, 
in that same game because the Rams had such a a great offense. They right. they were you know they were just they were scoring points. They were beating up on teams. If that had been any other team, if it had been like the Steelers or it had been uh, the Ravens, you know, some a team that you associate with like you know really great defense sort of thing, you know, you know blue collar lunch pail sort of you know guys or whatever, how whatever NFL films descriptor you would like to use. Um, mm-hmm. I think people would have been like, wow, that was a really hard fought game. Right. They probably wouldn't have said it was the most exciting, but to watch a team shut down. Uh, an offensive powerhouse like that in a very, you know, kind of evenly matched sort of game. I think if it had been another team besides the Patriots, I think that's where the Patriots fatigue really comes in. And of yeah. course, like the, the Atlanta game, yeah, you can take it out of that just because it was so exciting. Well, right. it was an exciting half of football. <laughs> you know yes. what I mean? Yes. The first half, not necessarily as exciting. Well, actually, it probably was exciting for people who aren't Patriots fans because they're watching them get their butt kicked. Ew. Right. And then the second half, well, they kind of get to watch, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm watching this happen, sort of thing. Well, and and that's what I that's why I brought that up because I thought what was so interesting when I listened to whether it was coworkers or, or friends talk to me about it, you know, it's it, it's as I said, it 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 became in the second half for them, it became less about the fact that it was the Patriots making a comeback, and it was just watching a football team come back from that far down. And, and actually pull off the win in overtime was just generically exciting for them. Well, you're, you know watching, what I mean? you're watching history in action. It, it, exactly. It, it's almost like the teams didn't matter at that point. It was just here you're watching something that you probably will never see again. Yeah. Um, or not for a very long time. And you're seeing overtime for the first time. I, I believe it was the first time in Super Bowl history, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and, and for them to, to score the way they did was just... I mean, no one could dispute that was an excellent game. It, it, you know, they may not have liked the outcome of it because of the team, but the action that took place, you know, it, it, it was, um, it's just something that I think struck a chord emotionally with people. Now, going a little bit further back a few years, uh, Seattle versus Denver in Super Bowl 48, mm. where Seattle won 43 to 8. You Ooh. suck. Okay, so this falls into the bucket of, I think, what you're talking about, but I will tell you. As a fan of neither team, but as someone who readily, you know, experienced much joy when Peyton Manning was flummoxed, uh, I took particular joy in watching this game and enjoyed it thoroughly and utterly to, to, to the extent that the Seahawks pummeled them. So I, I don't mean to throw that out there, but I just thought I would just mention that at times you can have two teams you have no interest in and still see a fun outcome to a game. <laughs> well, I would agree, but also, I i mean, and, and I was as much of a Peyton hater as anybody. I actually sold Peyton hater t-shirts back in the day and, and made no money off of it, really. You enterprising young man, you. In case the IRS is listening. I made squat. So, but I, I to me, that was an enjoyable half of football. Like, we're just watching him get rolled over, and then I'm like, okay, this, it's just, I'm, I'm essentially just watching a defenseless fighter get pummeled. Because there's nothing that's going to happen. What are you guys doing? This is supposed to be an exhibition. You understand? I, I think the problem is that with the buildup of the high stakes regular season, the high stakes playoffs, we're expecting that game to be transcendent. And it so often yeah. does not live up to that. It's just another game. And in some cases, it's not even that great of a game because yeah. of sometimes, you know, you go through those swings of like, one conference being overpowering against the other and things like that. So you just, 
just there's a natural ebb and flow, but it's hyped to such a degree. And the hype yeah. is is partly advertising and it's partially just what the fans build it up to be. I think yeah. that the that there are definitely times when it does transcend just you you are you're watching history. It goes back to the first Rams Patriots Super Bowl. You were watching history. No one really thought that was going to happen. I mean, I was about as a diehard of a Patriots fan as possible and I'm like this could go really badly. <laughs> could go really badly. And even as yeah. time expired, I kept I like I I've said it before. Like I kept waiting for them to announce there was going to be a fifth quarter. Like I just yeah. could not comprehend. Like the synapses in my brain would not allow me to to say that this was actually happening. Yeah. Um and it just so often doesn't live up to that. And I don't think it's not a right or wrong thing. It just is. And right, and I think right. it's part it's just this it's just this combination of factors and some of them are the parts that make the NFL great. They're, they're what makes the NFL really good. And they end up leading to a result that's just not as good. Yep. I hear you. Alright. Well, you know what? Uh, let's move on to and another thing. And another thing. So uh, let's have yours first here, sir, because uh, you've got you got a you actually have two and another thing. So I'm going to let you go first on this one. Yeah, I uh, you know my mine is probably a little basic, but uh, being being a family man, uh, being a father of two, this time of year, much like uh, Christmas, you know you you have the the infusion of Charlie Brown into your entertainment cycle, if, yes. if you will. And uh, this time of year, you know the you got to love the Great Pumpkin. You know what I mean? Uh, if, 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 if you can't sit down for 30 minutes and watch the Great Pumpkin, I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you've, you've got the, the, the Grinch heart that's five times too small. Yes, um, I agree. So, yeah. So, so my end, another thing is, is you know, like I said, very basic. It's just this, this timeless tale of Linus hanging out in the pumpkin patch and, and you know, conning poor Sally into hanging out with him. Uh, <laughs> Do you think Linus, missing out on tricks and treats? And do you think Linus was on hallucinogenics? I think Linus uh, is 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 pure of heart and had the best intentions. And and just the fact that when he saw something finally happen in the pumpkin patch, he just passed out from pure elation was just hysterical to me. That is true. That is true. And not to mention that this is this is one of the classic Snoopy episodes where I mean. As a kid and, and even as an adult, I mean, if you can't laugh at three quarters of what that dog does throughout that episode, mm-hmm. again, five times too small Grinch heart. Yeah. Um, you because to pack it, is, it in. It is just hysterical. It is just hysterical. So so that's my end another thing. And. Yes. It's uh, a bonus. And, and as a bonus, I, I got to give a little shout out to uh, my, my cousin-in-law. I, I will keep from using names to protect the innocent. <laughs> Uh, except for this one name, but uh, she and her uh, she and her husband recently had their first child. And I hope that their first child be a masculine child. Who uh, they named, uh, first name, middle name, William Riker. Don't fret, Riker. My good fortune is your good fortune. I don't need your fantasy women. So, Mazel tov. Uh, Absolutely. So a salute to uh, number one. Will I ever see you again? I'll call you the next time I pass through your star system. Uh, and and the, the actual number one for, for their family. Uh, <laughs> I really would rather be alone right now. But I thought that was extremely cool. They are huge Star Trek fans, uh, huge Doctor Who fans. He'll be fine. 
He's a time lord. It's just what they're called. It doesn't mean he actually knows what he's doing. Um, just, you know, d definitely down with the sci-fi geek, uh, you know, sort of vibe that we typically put out here on the show. And so I just wanted to give a shout out to Bill Riker, who is uh, making his way now through the world. So here we are. I can't wait till the next kid and, and, and Amy Pond would be the would be the obvious choice i think but <laughs> this is a two-man job what are you doing i'm easily worth two men you can help two if you like <laughs> that's just because i'm a big matt smith doctor who fan like that that arrow was that was my doctor so i'm a big amy go. pond fan as well uh, well, my another thing is actually uh, I I realize that you've you've contributed a couple of literary items to this, and I have not, which is kind of funny because I I I've been over the last few years trying to uh, trying to renew my love of reading because I've always I've mm -hmm. always really loved to read, and I kind of for whatever reason let it go by the wayside, and I've made a point of the last couple of years of actually having a reading goal uh, that I want to read a certain number of books nice. per year. And it's just kind of a little bit of a challenge to myself, and and I've, I've already exceeded my goal for this year, which is really really good. And I've I've enjoyed almost all of the books I've read. There's been one or two that I've been a little shaky on, where I'm like, yeah, I ain't recommending that to nobody. Um, well, congratulations for hitting your goal. Well, I I'm happy and about exceeding that. it. Yeah, and it's and it's one of those things that it's a fairly cheap hobby, really, because you can. I've actually tried to take make more use of my my local public library. Because I've I've realized I've spent a lot of money on books and uh, <laughs> even even buying them used, which is how I prefer to buy my books, it adds up after a while. So I was like, you know what? I think I need to exercise that library card a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, however, so the what I'm going to recommend uh, my another thing is The Alchemist by Paolo Cohio. I'm mangling that last name, but it's uh, I'll link it in the show notes. It's a very interesting book. It's a really quick read. And it, so it's described like this on, um, on Amazon. Paolo Cohillo's masterpiece tells the magical story of Santiago, an Andalusian shepherd boy who yearns to travel in search of a worldly treasure as extravagant as any ever found. The story of the treasures Santiago, Santiago finds along the way teaches us, as only a few stories can, about the essential wisdom of listening to our hearts, learning to read the, uh, the omens strewn around life's path, and above all, following our dreams. It's a, again, it's a really quick read. Um, nice. I don't want to get too new agey or anything like that. I don't think it changed my life, but it definitely kind of made me think a little bit more about you know, my life in general. And mm -hmm. it, uh, as someone who, who also writes, it's interesting because uh, the forward to the edition that I have talks about how he wrote the book and published it and no one read it. <laughs> 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 like no one bought it. Like he published it. Oh, I forget. He, he published it in his in his home country. I think it was was it Spain or was it Portugal? Oh crap! I can't remember. I'm I should have researched this better. But anyways, uh, he 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 published it and it went out to like a couple little bookstores and it sold like one copy to this one dude in this little town and then it sold another copy to the same dude who had lost the first copy. Like I'm not <laughs> even kidding you. It took like so long for him to get any traction on this book and then it ended up just getting rolling and more and more and more people got into it and and a lot of people have cited this as a really important book for them and it, it, it is a, it is a quick good read and it is a very uh, charming story and it, it, nice. it it's very well written I think it was very entertaining to read and I enjoyed it a lot it's one of those books that I after I read it I was like okay within about six months I'm probably going to reread this 
Like it was that good. Yeah. Where I was like, I got to give this some time to percolate in the brain, and I'll probably end up going back to this one at some point. So I highly kind of like a kind, kind kind of a diamond in the rough that you found. Yeah, I mean, although I don't know how rough it is, I think I'm like one of the last people on the planet to actually figure this out <laughs> because it sold like billions of copies. So I'm well, but 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 based on how it started out, it sounds like it was kind of a diamond in the rough sort of thing. And then oh, totally, started to yeah, see the value. Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to try and pretend that I'm discovering this because <laughs> because that ain't the case whatsoever. I understood. But, uh, but I highly recommend it. It is a lot of fun. Very nice. Very nice. Well, sir, our, uh, our time is drawing to a close here. We've actually kept this episode somewhat tame in time. And let's face it, the reason that, we're, that we've actually managed to stream through this one so quickly is, number one, we're not talking about Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and yep. the second reason is we're recording this on Sunday, October 20th, which is also the debut of Watchmen on HBO. So we're both trying to <laughs> plow through this thing. So get out of Dodge. So that we can go watch Watchmen before we fall asleep. Which will then feed into our next uh, episode of some kind, probably. Oh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about that. Or the episode after that. Yeah. So, uh, sir, uh, as usual, I'm I'm going to... Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm now, you know, I, I feel like sometimes I'm, I just, I, I, I yammer on and I yammer on. I feel like I'm just, I, I'm, I'm holding the baton and I'm just running, but it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm that good. I'm just holding it away from you. And then I finally hand it to you for the anchor leg of our, of our podcast to take us home because I've, I've, I, you're like, you're going to speed past everybody else because I'm so damn slow, but I've refused to let go of it. I'm here. I'm handing the baton off to you, sir, for our final closing thought, not to add a whole lot of pressure, but I'm really hoping you have something this week that's going to change people's lives and elevate their thinking on, on like a, a, a physical, emotional, spiritual level. So what do you got? So you're putting the pressure on me that one would put on a, a college-drafted quarterback starting for his team, as we've discussed. Is that what I'm hearing? Exactly. Don't be Ryan Leaf. I will try not to be Ryan Leaf. I, I will say this, and I will take inspiration from what you have just shared, my friend. Mm-hmm. I will challenge our listeners, look for the diamond in the rough. Do not just go for the surface, but look deeper. Look for, look for the value for, for that nugget that is being ignored by others that can bring value into your life and into others. Look for it. Find it. Much like the Patriots found Tom Brady. See, I worked it in. But there's a diamond in the rough no matter where it is. Focus. Look for it. Be attentive. And please, above all else, when you leave, turn the lights out, would you? I'm not even going to bring up the fact that you just ripped that off from Aladdin. Did I really? I think I took the wrong week to quit drinking. I beg your pardon. What did you say? Damn! You're such a disappointing pair. I prayed so hard for Get out. And don't come back until you've received yourselves. So say we all. So say we all. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Not really. Oh, okay. <laughs> Did you pull in my leg, dude? Well, yeah. That's what oh I do. Oh, my gosh. You scared me for a minute. I'm like, really?